Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. Americans spend a ton of money on healthcare, and think about the way that looks in your own life. Think of the premiums, the copays, all of the out of pocket money you end up spending on healthcare in any given year. But you might be surprised to hear just how much of our federal money ends up going to healthcare. My next guest says almost half of all federal spending goes to medical costs. And he says, with all that money we're spending, we're still not getting the world-class care we expect or deserve. Dr. Marty McCary is a surgical oncologist at Johns Hopkins uh, in Baltimore, and he recently wrote an op-ed in USA Today titled, We Spend About Half of Our Federal Dollars on Health Care. That's ridiculous. Dr. McCary, welcome to Detroit. Good to be with you, Stephen. Good to be with another person from Baltimore. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Yes, I spent uh, a lot of time in the city of Baltimore. I think of it as my other home. Um, uh, Let's talk about how you and your colleagues at Johns Hopkins came up with this figure of 48% of all federal spending being spent on health care. What does that mean? Well, look, Stephen, I'm proud to be a doctor, and America's hospitals are still some of the most respected institutions in America. But the money games today, the crazy bills, the predatory billing, if we can call it what it is, price gouging, mm-hmm. is now threatening the great public trust in American medicine. And I'm really concerned about that. If you look at the way we spend money on health care, we're throwing good money after bad into this giant broken system. And we need to not just talk about how to finance it like the politicians do. We need to talk about how to fix it. If you look at all the dollars we spend as a federal government in healthcare and all of its hidden forms, it's 48% of all federal spending because it's not just Medicare and Medicaid that goes to healthcare. People are now using their social security checks to pay for these Medicare copays and deductibles. The Defense Department has its own healthcare system. The VA is a giant 4.4% of all federal spending. The healthcare benefits of federal workers is 9.1 million people that we pay for for healthcare through federal uh, benefits. And interest on the debt is in part interest on the healthcare debt. When you add it all up, it's 48% of all federal spending. Think about that next time you go to pay your taxes. Mm-hmm. Uh, in your book, The Price We Pay, you say that we're already spending enough money to provide every American with the best healthcare we could have. Uh, on the planet. Um, And that sort of juxtaposed with this idea that we're spending 48% of uh, the federal money on that really does suggest that, I guess, it's an inefficiency that we're dealing with more than a commitment to the idea of health care. Yeah, the everyday hardworking American, and this is the 50% of America that I got to meet and visit in writing this book, The Price We Pay, I went to the homes. I talked to people. I met with every stakeholder in healthcare, from small hospitals to big pharma, to f- get a global perspective on the fixable things. I don't think we're a divided country. I think there's broad consensus that we don't want special interests running the show, that we want relief for everyday Americans. They're paying 48% of the federal taxes go towards healthcare, and then they're told they get to pay $18,000 a year for household insurance. They have done nothing wrong. They work, they have insurance, and now they're getting harassed. 50% of women with stage four breast cancer report being harassed by medical debt collectors. That's a disgrace. So uh, we need to start looking at the common sense solutions that we can all agree on. Hmm. And there's a lot of them out there. So if you listen to 
the arguments being made in the upcoming presidential election, most of the Democratic candidates say it's time to have some form of universal health care in place, uh, like we would see in other Western developed nations. Uh, Are those systems the models we ought to be using for what we would do here? Well, look, I'm all for health care for everybody in America. Who doesn't want that? I mean, I'm sure there's some diabolical person out there, but look, everyone should be able to get great health care. And we already spend enough money in America to give everybody great health care. But we've got to cut the waste. Throwing good money after bad into this giant broken system where a lot of stakeholders are making millions, except for one, the patient, is not going to fix the problem. We can either just keep increasing our spending on health care or we can start addressing these root cause issues of pricing failures, middlemen, and inappropriate care that I go through and identify the disruptors around each of those areas. That's how we get consensus, and that's how we dig ourselves out of this mess. The candidates who talk about Medicare for all, mm-hmm. look, I, I, I applaud the idea, the concept, the effort. It's a great, noble, altruistic mission, right? It's great. It's good. We should applaud that. How do we get there? I tell the candidates, we're at 48% of all, all of our federal spending going, going to health care in all of its hidden forms. What are you proposing we increase that to? 70 90%? Right. So I mean, the idea of more money becomes kind of folly. It's eroding all of our other national priorities. And so we've got to just start thinking about common sense ways to cut the waste. Mm. Uh, so let's go back to the dawn of the Obama administration in Washington and his big promise during the campaign was health care reform. And within a few years, we had the Affordable Care Act passed and, and enacted. One of the criticisms of that legislation was that it didn't do enough for cost control. It didn't do enough to bring down uh, the price we're paying for health care. Uh, but the answer to that was that over time, it would, that it was going to do these uh, other things in the short term. And those things, making sure that people have access to consistent care, for instance, would bring down the overall cost of, uh, of health care. Is, is that working or were the critics of the ACA right? Well, the ACA, let's be very honest, nothing is all good or all bad that sure. we've seen come out of the government in any, for any <laughs> policy. Okay? Right? Let's be very honest. It did three things. It created patient protections around things like pre-existing conditions. That's good. There's broad consensus around that. Trump supports that. He's talking about it. Another thing it did is it it expanded coverage. Mm -hmm. That's a good thing. It did it in a very expensive way, but that's good. The other thing it promised to do was lower health care costs. That was a giant failure. Okay. And I don't think it was for bad intentions. I really think they were trying to do something good. And I personally believe that President Obama is very upset at his advisors that promised him all these things were going to lower the cost of health care. Guess what? It's not what the campaign said, that you'll pay $2,500 less per person on health care. You're paying about that much more right mm-hmm. now. And the reason is that we've got to get at the underlying drivers of our health care cost crisis, middlemen, pricing failures, and inappropriate care. If airlines billed us after the flight, they'd be gouging you every time, <laughs> okay? <laughs> but we have travel sites. We have healthy markets. We have competition. And is that the is that the key to going forward with healthcare is introducing more competition or you know one of the things that always interests me is uh, one person's waste is another person's 
profit, right? Uh, earned profit. Uh, going in and saying, you can't earn this kind of money off of this procedure or you can't earn this kind of money off of this drug, that's a pretty, that's a pretty fraught uh, proposition as well. Look at the price of our services in the United States compared to other countries. Look at the price of a standard operation or the price of a medication. We have pricing failures all across America that we're not addressing because they're covered in this fog of middlemen and a lack of transparency. The issues that nobody's talking about that we need to talk about are pricing failures along with these uh, middlemen and the inappropriate care. Well, we have a lot of good people in healthcare, hospital leaders, doctors, nurses, people in the business of medicine. Mm-hmm. They're, they're good people and they're trying to innovate, but we've inherited this massively broken dysfunctional system where we inflate prices and then give secret discounts under non-disclosures to different stakeholders. It's insane. When you go to a restaurant and ask to see a menu, they don't say who's your employer and then give you a menu priced five times higher than Based the next on what the answer is, right? That's enabling price gouging, and that's one of the big problems today. So, so back to the arguments that the Democratic candidates are making then, why wouldn't uh, a, a single-payer type uh, reform, which would dictate what the prices are, would, would, would say, hey, you don't get to make all of this uh, money off of off of these things that we know don't cost that much. Why wouldn't uh, taking the, the the money that's already in the system and consolidating it in, in the hands of uh, more responsible payer, uh, why wouldn't that fix things? Well, in the book, I go through the many money games of the middle layers of, of medicine, the PBM games, how employers are getting ripped off on their health insurance and pharmacy plans, these secret kickbacks that live all over healthcare that should be outlawed. Mm-hmm. They should just be outright banned. We should not have kickbacks in healthcare. I'm talking about in the metal industry. So there's no doubt that if we switch to Medicare for all or the single payer system, we would eliminate this middleman industry in so many areas and save a ton of money right off the bat. Mm -hmm. The issue I have with it is that over time, governments invariably cannot resist the temptation to tighten the belt on healthcare spending. And year after year of doing that, 10, 20 years down the road, you're left with a massively underfunded and dilapidated system. Mm. Isn't Medicare already doing that? Talk to doctors about their Medicare reimbursements. Their reimbursements are not keeping up with inflation. Doctors are getting crushed out there trying to run their practices. And we've seen uh, Medicare increase its co-pays and deductibles, shifting that cost to patients. So we don't do insurance well as a government. Yes, we would cut the middlemen out initially. That is attractive. But downstream, the history of every government that's gone that way is that they cannot resist that temptation to lower healthcare spending, mm. and they're left with an. So you think we'd go from a system spending too much money to a system unwilling to spend enough money? Yeah, if we can just turn off cable news and block out those echo chambers, giving us this false divided country perspective, uh-huh. and just recognize where there's broad consensus. None of us, all of us, are against corruption. All of us are against special interests calling the shots. All of us want a pothole fixed. It's not a red or blue issue. If we can say, hey, that's a noble idea, Medicare for all, but here's where it falls apart. Can we, we want to achieve the same great healthcare system. Can we try cutting the waste? Can we try price transparency? Mm. 
Uh, my guest is Dr. Marty McCary. He is a surgical oncologist at Johns Hopkins University, a health policy expert who recently wrote an op-ed in USA Today titled, We Spend About Half of Our Federal Tax Dollars on healthcare, and that's ridiculous. He's also author of the book, The Price We Pay. We're talking about how to fix uh, healthcare in the United States, how to get more money uh, directed toward actual care as opposed to some of the waste that we see in the system right now. Um, Dr. McCary, I want to ask you about what the first steps look like to having a more sane and rational conversation about this. As you point out, you can turn on cable news uh, you can turn on the presidential debates, and it, it seems as though we're a long way in those uh, narratives from talking about the practical ends of of making sure that you know if we're going to spend forty eight percent of our federal dollars on healthcare that we're getting the very very best care. Uh, how do we start that? <laughs> Well, look, people can do a lot of things right now, and I, I try to create healthcare literacy with this book, just like the movie The Big Short did uh-huh. with the banking industry. <laughs> and they, we were told this is confusing, you have to leave it up to the experts because it's complex. No, it wasn't complex. The banks were borrow- using our money to take gambles. Okay, in healthcare, we can create general healthcare literacy, and that's what I try to do in this book, so we can get people engaged to shop for care, to use websites like MD Save and the Surgery Center of Oklahoma and fairhealth.org and use reference-based pricing and negotiate their bills. When you go to deliver a baby, that price can be $4,000 or $70,000 for the same uncomplicated labor and delivery. That's a disgrace. And people need to know how to shop. And people are putting pressure. They're asking for prices. And pretty soon, we're, we will see the market turn. We're mm-hmm. already seeing innovators reward patient navigation tools that steer you to good price, high quality. And that's the future. It's happening. You need to let your officials know. We created a resource, restoringmedicine.org, to create public accountability around our nation's hospitals, reminding them that when they were started, mostly built by churches, They were there to serve their community. And this practice of price gouging and suing patients and garnishing their paychecks is a disgrace. And it's threatening the great public trust in American medicine. Okay. Dr. Marty McCary, surgical oncologist at Johns Hopkins. Great to have you here with us on Detroit Today. Great to be with you, Stephen. Thanks for being here. Up next, we're going to talk with Dr. Abdul El-Sayed, who says a switch to universal health care is the way to fix many of these issues. We'll also talk with him about his new podcast, which goes beyond the headlines to explore what really matters for our health. And we're going to hear from you. What do you think about the way we handle health care in this country? Is it working for you and your family? Are there better ways that you think we could pursue? 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We're talking this hour about health care in this country. The healthcare system that we have, how much it costs us, what we get for that money, and whether there is a better way to do all of this. Is there a way to spend less money, 
get better care, and perhaps make sure that more people are insured, more people have access to our healthcare system. We want to hear from you. What are your questions about the healthcare system that we have in this country? What do you think about the reforms that were made under the Affordable Care Act? Did that improve your access to health care? Did it lower costs in your household for health care? Do you feel like that is the path we ought to keep pursuing in order to make sure that costs go down and more people get insured? Or are you somebody who's really fed up with the system that we have and you think that we have to go to another way of doing it all together? As always, the number on the phones here is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll try to work you into the conversation. And joining us now to talk about why he thinks the system we have does not work is Dr. Abdul El-Sayed, a physician, epidemiologist, and former health director for the city of Detroit. He is the host of America Dissected, a new 10-part podcast series from Crooked Media that goes beyond the headlines and explores what really matters for your health. Uh, He is also someone who ran for governor in 2018 here in the state of Michigan. Dr. Abdul El-Sayed, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you for having me, Stephen. Excited to be here. Yeah, it's great to hear your voice. So let's start with what you think is the answer to our healthcare woes in this country. You don't believe that the current system can be reformed sufficiently to solve the problems. You think we need to have an entirely alternate approach. Talk about what that is. Yeah. So, you know, when I run for governor, folks uh, who are listening will remember that I ran on a single payer platform and that's kind of jargony. So let me just explain what that means. Right now, we rely on a system of private, um, often for-profit health insurance corporations to pay for our health care. Those are all called payers because when you go and get health care, you're not actually paying for your care. Usually, most of the time, uh, you're insured, whether that be through that system of private for-profit insurers or something like Medicaid or Medicare, they're the payers. And the problem with that system is that none of those payers really have the ability to bargain the way that a single payer could. So we're all familiar with the idea of a monopoly, right? A monopoly is the single seller of a thing. Um, But when you have one payer, that's what's called a monopsony. It's a single buyer of a thing. And when you're a single buyer or a, a single seller, you can set the price. And when you can set the price, it gives you tremendous power to lower prices for everybody. Um, that's the essence of why single payer or what we call Medicare for all is what I believe moving forward. The other issue is that it solves a lot of the other symptoms that come out of this sort of brokenness of our healthcare system. The costs go down because the overhead to pay for, you know, the CEO of Blue Cross's salary, which is $21 million, that's all overhead we pay in our healthcare. So our costs go down and then everybody gets care because it just becomes um, something that we pay for through government. Everybody uh, has access to. So it just seems to me that this is the efficient, um, obvious approach. We've got to get serious, though, about the politics involved, because right now, these corporations are some of the biggest lobbyists in government. Um, they have a tremendous money, amount of money at stake. And when people have money at stake, they tend to, um, to lobby for their lives. And uh, we've got to start lobbying for ours. So we just had a conversation with Dr. Marty McCary from Johns Hopkins. And his criticism of the single-payer approach was that it would extract too much money from the system. In other words, he says in countries where you have a single-payer in charge of health care – 
it's too hard to put the money into the system that you need to make sure that people can get the care they want. I think that may be the origin, for instance, of some of the criticism of healthcare systems in places like Canada or in Europe, where people talk about waiting long periods of time for care, where they talk about not being able to get access to the best care for acute conditions. What's your answer to that criticism? So, you know, I think that the simplest approach is this, you know, neither you or I or, or really anyone wants to be buying health care. What we really want is health and health care seems to be the way to get to health if and when we're sick. And so <clears throat> we focus a lot on uh, on the care part of it rather than asking the health part of it. And, you know, we're pretty close to Canada as it stands. And, you know, we can we can walk a couple miles and we can see Canada right there. And the fact of the matter is, is that they live about two years longer on average than we do. Their babies are less likely to die in infancy. They report being happier with their healthcare system than we do. Um, and they have the single payer system. And so, you know, we're focused on minutia to tear down this approach rather than asking, you know, where's the proof? And to me, the proof's in the pudding, right? If you're living a longer, healthier life and you're happier with your healthcare system, it's probably a better healthcare system. And then the fact is, is that we spend 19 cents on the dollar for every dollar spent in our entire economy on healthcare, whereas in Canada, they're spending 11 to 12. And so they're getting uh, longer lives, uh, better satisfaction from their healthcare system um, for less expensive uh, in a place where they've 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 passed real health reform. So I think that's the direction we need to go. And the, the real part of this is that let, let's not forget, this is not about trying to reform how we provide health care, right? This is about trying to reform how we pay for health care. And so the innovation happens at the providing side. It's not like the money that goes into research and development and innovation uh, and even provision of care isn't still there. It's just that it's coming from a, 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 a payer who um, has an incentive that's focused on our well-being rather than their bottom line. My guest is Dr. Abdul El-Sayed. He's a physician, epidemiologist, and former health director for the city of Detroit. We are talking about the idea of reforming healthcare again here in the city or in the nation. How do we make sure that costs come down and more people get access, that people's health is improved by the system that we have for taking care of people in this country? Is that uh, something that we can do within the system that we have right now, which is still about competition and market-influenced dy dynamics? Or is it that we need to move to a different kind of system, single-payer, which is the thing that most of the Western world uses to deal with healthcare? We want to hear from you about what your experience is with healthcare in this country right now. Does it work for you? Does it work for your family? Does the money work for you and your family? And do the outcomes work for you and your family? Or do you think we need to really rethink the way that we do this? 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll try to work you into the conversation. Let's start with Mark in Chelsea. Mark, welcome to the show. Hello. Hey. Thank you for having me. Sure. A um, couple of things. I'm adamantly opposed to a uh, single payer because that creates a monopoly and they can decide what prices um, are affordable or not, and, and that may not uh, be beneficial to a majority of the population. Um, the other thing is is that there are tons of, there's tens of thousands of clinical studies proving the efficacy of, of vitamins, herbs, minerals, amino acids, and other food substances 
in the prevention and the treatment in disease. Um, most doctors don't know about that information, but it's out there. Um, on one example um, uh, of the cost uh, being prohibited um, is uh, I have a son with seizure disorders, and we were putting him on a ketogenic diet and had to um, get what are called keto strips to measure ketones in the urine. Um, I called his insurance company, Molina, and they said, oh, uh, we'll pay for it, but you have to go to the University of Michigan Pharmacy. And so I went and picked up the um, keto strips. There were two bottles, 60 uh, tabs in each bottle, and they charged the insurance company $198 and some odd cents. Mm. And I swear, the very next day I went to the local CVS to pick up his meds, they had the exact same manufacturer bottle of keto strips, and they were two for $15. Now, if that isn't a scam on the insurance part, uh, charging a pharmacy an exorbitant amount of money for the same item that I could have picked up with my own cash for 15 that I don't know what is. Hmm. Mark, I'm, I'm curious. I want to go back to your first point, which is that you worry that a single-payer system would not set fair rates for things like this. Tell me what you think the fix is, and tell me why you think companies and insurance companies setting those rates is going to do better by consumers than the government doing it. Well, the government has a revolving door between the pharmaceutical industry, food industry, and, and the FDA and other branches of the government. People who, uh, attorneys especially, who sit on the boards at uh, Monsanto and other uh, pharmaceutical companies, uh, you know, can just walk right in and become part of the board of directors or part of the agency, and they determine what the, quote, standard of medicine is. And the standard of medicine is an accepted uh, policy of treatment. And I know from 50 years of researching and being a practitioner myself that there are hundreds, if not thousands, of other provable, efficacious treatments that don't get paid for by the insurance companies. Um, Insurance companies won't pay a patient for nutritional supplements, even if they're uh, prescribed by a doctor, and yet those supplements have proven efficacy in treatment of hundreds of different types of diseases. So you have to have what I would say an open market, Maybe you have to have a government or an independent watchdog to make sure that these companies um, have a uh, like a cap on what they can charge. Mm. But there needs to be a reform um, that the government isn't really willing to look at. So, Mark, it's interesting. I think what you're saying is that you believe we can reform the current system with maybe a little more government involvement or oversight. I want to get Abdul El Sayed's reaction to that. Is there a way to reform the system we have to fix the problems that Mark, for instance, is running into in the healthcare system? Yeah, well, I really appreciate Mark Mark calling in because I think his story really captures what's wrong with our health system right now, is that you have this uh, system where you have a health insurance um, corporate oligopoly that exists to make money. And what he talked about with trying to get these keto strips for um, for his, his, his child's uh, seizure treatment 
um, you know, he he talks about the fact that this 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 good that he could buy at a at a CVS was fifteen dollars, um, and and insurance charged one hundred and ninety. That's happening across the board, and that's what happens when there is a profit motive in healthcare on the insurance side. But to go back to the question that you asked, Stephen. Um, is it possible for us to get a little bit more government, but really not uh, not engage the whole process? The, the problem with the way that we've done it so far is that's what the ACA was intended to do. But a lot of these corporations, whether they be on the providing side or they be on the the um, the insurance side, their incentive has always been uh, to make money on the system, and they will find the way to do that um, so long as we're not engaged thoughtfully in taking the profit motive out. And um, one of the terms that he used, I just want to make sure that we're clarifying, he talked about a monopoly. The fact is, under Medicare for All, the government is not your healthcare provider. The government is simply the payer for your healthcare services. And one of the challenges that a lot of Americans have right now is that they might want to see a doctor who's out of network. And it turns out that the insurance company is is, is pad, padding down uh, and 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 and, and um, decreasing their overall choice in the system because you have this in-network, out-of-network situation. But under Medicare for All, in theory, you can see any doctor you want because um, because your choice is unlimited because there's really only one insurer, and that's the government. So your choices actually increase at the provider side. And most people don't really care about their insurance choices. They want an insurer that they know will be there, and most of the time they're not. The deductibles are extremely high. The co-pays are really high when they go in uh, and, and get care, and, um, and they worry about whether or not they're going to be able to see the doctor that they want. And so the ironic thing about it is that if we were to provide government insurance, our access to doctors and hospitals goes way up, um, and our choice increases. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Uh, Mark, I really appreciate your call and sharing your experience with the system. Let's go to Christina in Ferndale. Christina, welcome to the show. Hi, good good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. This morning, it's ironic that this is on as I'm leaving Beaumont for breast cr- cancer screening mm. because I'm 36, shouldn't really have a screening yet, but I kind of had a scare this morning or... And while I was sitting there waiting to be taken in, they gave me an offer of 15% off my over $200 bill. Have great health insurance, at least I thought, as a healthy person. It cost me over $160 for a mammogram and ultrasound. I had no idea. I pay health care. I had no idea what I was walking into this morning. Of course, I have a credit card and I will pay for a 15% discount. Mm-hmm. But Thinking in that office, it was more scary. If I do have breast cancer, how is my family going to afford this? Because we really don't have the 160-something extra dollars. If I actually am sick, I was more scared about how my family would afford it than... Christina, (laughs) I think... Yeah, I, I think that is a super common experience. Uh, people who have insurance, people who have what they consider to be good insurance that they pay a lot of money for, and then when they go and try to get care, they find out that the insurance doesn't really cover a whole lot of it. I have had that experience. I know lots of other people who've had that experience. Abdul El Sayed, talk about how the Affordable Care Act, which was supposed to make all of these things better, has not been able to deliver on this issue and and several others, for instance, this idea of the out-of-pocket costs in the current system going up every year, even as your premiums may go up every year. Yeah. Well, let's, let's talk quickly about how an insurance company makes money. They make money because you pay the in 
and they pay less money out in services and fees than you paid in. So in order for them to make money on you, they need you to pay in. And one of the tricks that they've figured out after the ACA passed, when they had to cover more people who were more expensive to them, was to pass on more of the healthcare costs back on to people who are quote-unquote covered. And so what we're seeing is skyrocketing premiums, but then also deductibles and co-pays. And these are sort of jargony words, so let me just break them down real quick. A deductible is the money that you pay before your insurance kicks in, mm-hmm. and then a copay is what you pay at the point of care. And what we've seen over time, especially since the passing of the ACA, is that the amount of money passed back on to a, um, a beneficiary at the point of care or uh, through a deductible has gone up and up and up. And it just shows you how broken our system is. These corporations are so focused on their bottom line that they've basically figured out how not to provide the service that you already paid them to provide. And so you pay a premium every two weeks or every month thinking that the insurance is going to be there if you get sick. Um, and Christina's example just proves that, right? And then all of a sudden you actually have to use it, in her case, a, a scary situation. And then you realize that actually you're not that well covered and you're going to have to pay at the point of care anyway. And so the system itself is just not working because these corporations who we've in effect trusted to provide us something so critical like our health care have put their bottom line and their goal of making money above, above our goal of getting the services that we, uh, we demand. And one of the things that Medicare for All intends to do, right, is to stand up there and say, no more copays, no more deductibles. We want to um, free people of the insecurity that comes with the kind of situation that Christina uh, so vividly described in her experience this morning. Christina, I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. I can't imagine how scary that was. Again, Christina, I really appreciate the call and the very candid uh, sharing of the example there that I think, again, is really common for people who have insurance who are supposed to be the in the best place for this current system. Those of us who actually have insurance and pay for it are supposed to be the ones who actually like the system. And in many cases, I think we find out that it doesn't do the things for us that we expect it to do. You know, so, Stephen, yeah, go ahead. you bring up a, a really good point. Just I, I want to I piggyback off what you just said, is that, you know, if you're perfectly healthy and you're insured, you tend to like your insurance. Mm-hmm. But then the minute you actually have to use it and that money starts coming out of your pocket to pay for something you thought you already paid for, you start to see that people's approval of an insurance goes way down. And so what kind of healthcare system do we have where when you have to use it, it doesn't work for you? Like we have to ask ourselves that question as a society. Again, Christina, I really appreciate the call and the comments. Let's go to Kevin in Gross Point Park. Kevin, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. My idea may be a little simplistic, but I would love to see something modeled on the Green Bay Packers, as in all of us pay our premiums to a hospital um, as on a monthly basis so the doctors and the nurses in the hospitals get our premiums. Let's illuminate the um, the insurance companies and the in-betweens. Uh, therefore, the, the doctors and nurses own the hospital. We own shares in the hospital and have an interest in this profitability. Hmm. Um, Kevin, maybe simplistic, but it, maybe it would solve a few things. Well, it's, a, it's simplistic, but it but it does get to a fundamental issue in the healthcare system, which is what role do the insurance companies play? How much money do they add to the cost of things in the system? And is there a way to eliminate them altogether? 
Abdul El Sayed. We had a physician on the program a few months ago, Paul Thomas, here in the city of Detroit, who is treating patients by eliminating insurance. He doesn't take insurance. He has them pay into kind of a share system like Kevin is talking about. He deals with uh, pharmaceutical companies directly to to lower the cost of the meds. And it seems like he's got kind of a solution to to some of the problems that we see in the in the system now. The idea of dealing directly with physicians in hospitals instead of insurance companies. Is that mm-hmm. maybe a way forward? So uh, I love Paul's model, and I think it's a great model for primary care. You pay him, he takes care of you. It's simple. You eliminate the middleman. Um, in fact, though, you know, Kevin's idea, um, that's how insurance started. So Blue Cross started in Texas uh, through Baylor's hospital, who offered, in effect, a subscription service to the hospital. Right? You pay us a monthly fee, and whenever you need our hospital services, they're there for you. What tended to happen as medicine itself became far more complex and people became more mobile is that that kind of scenario um, started to started to disaggregate between the hospitals and then the insurance system that you provided, and that's sort of how Blue Cross and Blue Shield were born. Um, but there's an argument to say, you know, how how do you cut out uh, the middleman. The question, though, becomes what happens if, say, you're traveling and you're far away from the hospital that you've been paying for, or um, you need, you know, quaternary care services for a rare disease that your hospital doesn't treat. That's when the complexities of our current healthcare system uh, start to, to to bear their fangs and, and make that a little bit harder. So, this idea of eliminating the middleman as a kind of primary step, I guess, toward a different system is 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 that a, a way to, to, to move forward and get around some of these political arguments and disagreements that we have, saying that insurance companies are not playing the role that they're supposed to and that uh, we, we can perhaps reform that as a way of coming just shy, I guess, of this idea of single payer. I want to, I want to go back, though, to what government is. Like, government is the only institution in our lives that all of us are members of, right? And um, it is an institution that I know right now has come under immense distrust because, unfortunately, we've elected untrustworthy people as our representatives. But it is that institution that is supposed to pay attention to all of our our good, all of our well-being. And we have to, rather than stop trusting that institution to do its job, I just think we need to start demanding that it does that job better rather than trusting a bunch of corporations who are interested in fleecing us or trying to go small. Because the fact of the matter is that the hospital has the same set of incentives as the insurers do. Their interest is taking in more than they give out. And so, you know, if, if you're asking the hospital to do the same thing that the insurance did and you're asking them to make a buck off of it, which is what they're looking for, then you're going to end up in the same sort of scenario that you're in right now. But government is supposed to be that institution that doesn't care about its bottom line, that's focused on all of our well-being, that we entrust to take care of us. In fact, we cede our right uh, to to violence in in this world because we give it to government to create a just and equitable and sustainable society for us. And so we we do need to start trusting government again. And I think when it comes to health care and education, the quality of our air and our water, these are the kinds of things that, that, that government was intended to take care of. And I just think we need to, to call on it to be better um, to do these things rather than fear what it might do uh, because we've elected the wrong people uh, in charge of it. 
Okay, when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with Abdul Al-Sayed about healthcare in this country and whether we need to move to a single-payer system. We also want to continue to talk with you about these things. Terry in Detroit, Bernadette in Redford, Philip in Royal Oak will get to you next. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guest is Dr. Abdul El Sayed, a physician, epidemiologist, and former health director for the city of Detroit. He is the host of America Dissected, a new 10 part podcast series from Crooked Media that goes beyond the headlines about healthcare and explores what really matters for our health in this country. We're talking about the healthcare system that we have right now in America, how it works, how much it costs, and what we get for that money, the outcomes that we see in terms of our health. Are those outcomes that you're okay with, given the money that we're putting into the system? Or do you think we could spend less and get better outcomes if we had a different system? As always, the number here is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Let's go to Terry in Detroit. Terry, what's on your mind? Good, good morning. I'm so glad you're having this uh, conversation. It's so needed in our society. I want to say, like your other callers, I have health care insurance until it's time to use it. That's when I find out exactly what I don't have. Um, I want to talk about the point Dr. Syed made, that we spend about 19% of our GDP. That's about, as he said, 19 cents out of every dollar we spend in America is devoted to health care. It's the most inefficient system of health care on the planet Earth. Um, We spend more than anyone. Our results, though, are... um, far lower than any other industrialized nation, meaning the outcomes, life expectancy, infant mortality, all those measures of quality of health care. Um, so uh, Americans need to understand that, that there is inefficiency in our system. There's more inefficiency in our system than any other system. So I do believe we can spend less and still have better outcomes if we start looking at things differently. And I wanted to amplify his other point that ours is a system focused on sickness care. It's not focused on health care. So if you have someone who stays healthy, who spends time and money at the gym working out, eating right, staying healthy, they get no credit for that really um, in the way we cost out health care. We don't pay for their gym membership, for example, right? Um, As part of a healthy life approach, we don't pay for that kind of stuff. Um, and they get nicked with the same premiums based on their age as anybody else in their age group. Hmm. Hmm. Terry, I really appreciate the call and the comments. Abdul El-Sayed, react to what she's talking about there. Yeah, look, I think, I think Terry's spot on, right? When, when, you, when you zoom out, you realize that right now all of us in this current healthcare system are being monetized by a number of corporations, whether it is 
the health insurance industry, the hospital industry, the medical device industry, or probably worse, the pharmaceutical industry. In fact, in our uh, episode this week on America Dissected, we go into why uh, our prescription drugs are so expensive. And, and you realize the perversity in the ways that these corporations are making decisions about things that people need to live their lives to, to survive. And um, once you decouple the humanity of the people you're trying to care for from the dollars and cents of your business, it becomes really easy for these corporations to just see all of us as you know, part of the money sign that comes in every, every month. Um, and so I think Terry's spot on, right? She, she's recognizing that it's not a system that's meant to work for us. It's meant to work for the people at the top of that system who are making millions of dollars. The CEO of Blue Cross Blue Shield last year in Michigan made $21 million. And that money is all money that we paid in as premiums or deductibles or copays that did not get paid out of the system. And he got it as some sort of bonus because, you know, he's figured out how somehow uh, the money that, that, uh, that we pay in ought to go to his salary rather than to go to the health care we already paid for. Hmm. Again, Terry, thanks very much for the call and the comments. Let's go to Jamie in Detroit. Jamie, what's on your mind? Hi, good morning. Uh, I myself am a physician, and um, what I would like the guest to, guest to speak on is the fact that we're kind of having two conversations here. One is about healthcare economics. The other is about politics. And when it comes to the um, American appetite for a single-payer system, a lot of the aversion comes from the fact that capitalism really is the personality of our country and choice is some, something that the American public doesn't want taken away. And in 1996, uh, the Swiss, they transitioned from a for-profit system to a universal health care model, which preserved some elements of capitalism. The companies were allowed to still um, be um, not taken over by the national government, but they had to be nonprofit and they had to submit to regulation. So since we use these external comparisons, we can't really compare ourselves to socialist healthcare models. Um, I'm wondering how can we allow a true capitalist picture, which might be more palatable to the American public, mm-hmm. to be a potential solution? Yeah. Jamie, really great question. Abdul El-Sayed, address what he's talking about there. Yeah. Well, Jamie, I really appreciate your um, your call. And, uh, you know, and thanks for, for being willing to practice in such a challenging environment. Um, I want to say a couple of things. Canada up north is not a socialist country. Canada is a capitalist country. They also have a single-payer style healthcare system. Um, I do think that we are uh, we are painting a false dichotomy between socialism and capitalism because, from what I understand, and, and Jamie, you probably know better than me, practicing healthcare, practicing medicine in this system right now has put a series of you know, corporate overlords um, on top of your ability to practice as you choose. And one of the worst things about practicing medicine right now is that it's becoming harder and harder to own your own practice because you have these huge healthcare systems that I believe you're, the last guest spoke about um, that have figured out how to, in effect, parse all of us out. Um, so it's almost impossible to break in if you're you know, a, a new doctor uh, who's got a new innovative practice. And that seems to me to be really anti-capitalist. Um, I don't think people care as much about the choice in health insurance. I think they care about the choice in doctors. And right now, the way that the industry works is that you have this collusion between the like big health care, um, the doctors and hospitals, and then big insurance. And who gets squeezed out are um, you know individual practitioners who want to start a new business. Um, 
I think if we really believe in capitalism and healthcare, then we have to decide that we are going uh, to address the inefficiency in our system on the health insurance side to enable the provider side uh, to really flourish, because that's really what di- dictates care. If you think about it, nobody really loves their health insurance, right? It's just a, it's a, it's a system of insurance. It's not where um, you're, you know, you're meeting your doctor, you're, you know, putting your your life in their hands, where you rely on them to have the knowledge and skills. Insurance doesn't really benefit that. It's 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 healthcare that does that. And right now, insurance is in the way. So I actually think if we want to invest in a truly innovative system that allows uh, new ideas and new ways of, of, of doing things to flourish, which is the intent of capitalism, then I do think we need to do something about how insurance is getting in the way. And, and that, to me, means Medicare for all, setting an even playing field for everybody. And I want to say one more thing. As we've watched, or almost anybody can, can, can tell you that wherever they live, the number of hospitals that service their community has dwindled, right? Because they get bought up in these mergers and acquisitions. A lot of that is because you have insurance and hospitals negotiating these backroom deals around the cost of care, which your last guest talked about. I don't know why an MRI should cost different in different places. I don't know why an uncomplicated labor and delivery should be a different cost in different places. But that's because of the collusion between the insurance industry and the hospital industry to cut each other's sweetheart deals so that they can buy up their competitors. Under Medicare for All, there's one price. So if you're providing the best service, you're going to grow. And if you're not, you're not. That seems to me that the purest form of capitalism, which ironically comes through deciding that health insurance should just be provided through the government. Abdul, before we end, I want to give you a chance to talk a little bit about your podcast, America Dissected, which I kind of, I kind of feel like is an effort to improve healthcare literacy among people as a way of improving their understanding about the system itself. We've got about a minute left, but to talk about what people will learn with America Dissected. Yeah. I mean, the healthcare conversation that we have is incredibly complex. It's really hard to understand. You have a lot of moving parts. And what we really wanted to do is drill down and have the conversation we should be having, not people trying to sell you the latest and, and, and greatest cure, not people trying to politic you into one corner or another, but how do we break down these complex topics? So in the first uh, episode, we talked about the, the anti-vaxxer epidemic. In the next one, we talked about the cult of wellness and, and, and wellness industrial complex. In the third one, we broke down the, the increasing cost of prescription drugs. Next episode, we'll be talking about um, the, the rise of these superbugs and antibiotic resistance. After that, we'll be talking about the opioid crisis in the context of the crack uh, epidemic just um, a couple of, of, of decades earlier um, and how the differing response really does highlight some of our structural racism in our society. Then we'll be talking about the epidemic of loneliness and finally uh, go to Flint to talk about that and then infant mortality in our city of Detroit. And then we'll finish up talking about healthcare. The goal, though, is to really break through and have the conversation we ought to be having and put everybody on an even playing field so they can make a decision for themselves. All right. Dr. Abdul El Syed was really great to have you here with us on Detroit Today. Thank you, Stephen. Come back tomorrow. We're going to talk with Amy Stevens, the transgender woman from Michigan whose wrongful termination employment case is in front of the U.S. Supreme Court today. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.